God, those communists are amazing. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Turnloads podcast again. I'm Mike, and tonight I'm here with Jaron, Cosper, and Ward. And again, we have our special guests from the Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner podcast. We have Caitlin and Colin. What's up, you guys? Hello. And once again, we still have Blaine with us. Thanks for joining us again, Blaine. How are you? Good. How about you? Good, good. And so tonight we're going to continue talking about QAnon. I think we should be able to wrap it up with our part two tonight. But uh, if not, you know, we could potentially have a third episode, but we'll just see how it goes and see how much we can get through tonight. So originally, to introduce part two, I had originally written up a few paragraphs, kind of wondering why the Q movement had been so seemingly successful, uh, big air quotes there around successful, you know, more so than leftism in grabbing a huge portion of the American populace and spurring them into direct action, you know, namely the Capitol riot. But then while I was writing it and thinking about it, trying to ponder about what a leftist version of that would look like, I decided that's probably the wrong question to even ask, uh, the wrong conclusion to draw from it. And as I was saying in the intro last week, I was hoping that the left could come up with some kind of similar movement that would be just as emotionally invigorating as QAnon. And I was planning on asking all these questions as to why that hasn't happened yet, but I realized that it's kind of already happened. You know, we already have a real grassroots leftist movement, and that's in the form of Black Lives Matter and the anti-fascist protests, and it's been going on for years. So I think the real thing here is not to ask why we haven't been successful in fomenting a socialist revolution when the QNUTs were almost able to, in a matter of hours, forcibly remove the only people that would be next in line to the presidency between Trump and Mike Pompeo, which is what lends credibility to the idea that this was a kind of inside job. But the real takeaway is to further prove to anyone who still doesn't get it yet that the USA is an inherently white nationalist, far right and fascist country to its core. It's not some failing of the left. It's just that the country itself is so far right to begin with that we're already fighting uphill. And the reason I hesitated at first to make this the main thesis of what I was getting at is because it just seems like a real hack thing to even say at this point. To say that the Capitol rioters were treated with kid gloves compared to Black Lives Matter and anti-fascist activists. It's a real no shit kind of take to begin with but I don't think that makes it any less valid or any less important to talk about. So rather than trying to ask fellow leftists how we can best emulate the Q cult and somehow co-opt its methods into a new socialist movement, what I'd rather do is try to make all our listeners aware of just how much of a disadvantage we're really at in the, quote, imperial core, as many Marxists would like to call it. In case it isn't abundantly clear already, this country and the people who act on behalf of it, namely the cops, the military, the intelligence agencies, they're far more ready to accept aid and possibly even initiate to begin with a far-right fascist movement of the well-off white suburban moms and dads whining about their fake problems than any real grassroots uprising of diverse workers that have suffered actual exploitation and violence for this country's entire history. So that being said, the first thing I want to get into tonight is I want to talk about the idea of suburban moms being brainwashed into Q. I think this is probably one of the more interesting facets of Q because normally conspiracy theories tend to be really popular just among dudes. I would say 18 to 35 males are probably the biggest cohort of conspiracy theorists. So I do have an article from Slate that I wanted to read a good amount of. The QAnon conspiracy theory isn't just spreading, it's evolving. Over the past few months, we've learned that women are becoming the primary drivers of a cult that started where most conspiracy theories do, on seedy hypermasculine spaces like 4chan, and are making a story about a satanic, quote, cabal with Donald Trump as the savior seem pretty, palatable, and obviously a good thing. Who doesn't want to protect children and restore order? People who might not ordinarily be amenable to this kind of thing are flocking to it during this distressing period when we're all spending more time inside and online because of the disaster-laden state of the country. QAnon offers the comfort of an answer, so perhaps it shouldn't be surprising that the conspiracy theory is popping up on Peloton forums, circulating among Instagram influencers, and gaining traction with anti-vaxxers, yoga communities, and new moms. The makeover has not diluted the cult's virulence. The deep state is evil and satanic, one Graham reads in a font as soothing and bland as a skincare ad. 
In a thread on, quote, pastel QAnon, researcher Marc-Andre Argentino suggests that women on Instagram are sugarcoating the dark stuff with the soothing graphic design we're used to associating with the platform. The Atlantic's Caitlin Tiffany reports that Q stuff flourishes on Instagram, quote, with little pushback from the influencers' communities or from the platform that hosts them, much of it never mentioning Q explicitly. These videos rarely go into specifics. They tend to reference a documentary that they'll share with you over DM or encourage the viewer to really prepare their self-care regimen before they go poking around into these dark truths and finally get woke in an entirely different sense. Quote, the reason we are woke is because I became a mother and we saw a documentary that we will never be able to unsee, one influencer says. An influencer who mostly posts about her children and interior design captions a video with an all-caps reference to elites and the Q marking save the children hashtag before resuming fuzzier warnings on a beige backdrop with delicate white stars. This stuff sometimes appears in combination with other theories about masks being bad for children, COVID-19 being, quote, over, a conspiracy to make everyone get vaccines, or a noble Trumpian ploy to make vaccines so obviously untrustworthy that more Americans will be recruited to the anti-vaxxer cause. It's an uncanny combination of paranoias and legitimate concerns, but it's undeniably working. These accounts are growing quickly, even as Instagram tries to shut down some of the bigger players. The appeal is morally unambiguous, simultaneously frightening and reassuring, and perfectly crafted to draw in a certain slice of suburban women. There's the psychology of the approach. Leftist discourse on these platforms can have a preacherly aspect that asserts moral truths without giving the listener the option of disagreeing. This can strike the not yet persuaded as condescending, bossy, or dismissive of their right to form independent judgments. Q proselytizing folks err in the opposite direction. They'll tell tantalizing stories about their heartfelt conversions that are extremely light on detail and almost invariably conclude by saying, quote, do your own research. Of course, this has power. It has the air of secrecy, find out what they're not telling you. Most of all, it's flattering. It expresses full faith in the reader's abilities to discover the truth and appears to invite independent verification and free inquiry. In practice, searching these hashtags tends to lead people into closed information ecosystems, and yes, lectures, that are every bit as didactic as any woke explainer. The key is this. The new recruits feel that they have discovered these things. A 2017 study at the University of Kent shows that belief in conspiracy theories appears to be driven by motives that can be characterized as epistemic, understanding one's environment, existential, being safe and in control of one's environment, and social, maintaining a positive image of the self and social group. We're living through a perfect storm that undermines all three, and so a skyrocketing movement is taking advantage of an environment rife with uncertainty. It does so by providing a magical explanation that replaces a chaotic and distressing reality that doesn't seem likely to improve anytime soon with proactive agents, people in charge working hard to bring down identifiable and no less organized bad guys. If this requires imagining that things aren't what they appear, but the opposite, so be it. The man who appears to be a lazy and self-interested liar hell-bent on winning the presidency, even if he destroys every institution in the process, is in fact a hard-working savior selflessly toiling to bring down the group that's actually hurting children and the country. So that's the important parts of that article that really does a good job touching on the aspects of it that would bring in people who are, like I said, not normally involved in conspiracy theories to begin with. You wouldn't have thought, you know, suburban moms would even be a demographic for this kind of thing. But this has really grabbed them. And I think I touched on a little bit last week. It's really the emotional aspect. And when it gets to this point of this moral obligation to save these children, whether they exist or not, is seemingly irrelevant. But it's an effective tool to get people to really latch on to this and really care about it, which is ironic because if you look at the things that we talk about as leftists, we care just as much about the well-being of people and more people than just some fictitious group of children. You know, we care about the well-being of everyone who is suffering for whatever reason under capitalism. But for some reason, I guess that doesn't reach people on the emotional level that this conspiracy does. 
So what you're saying is that we shouldn't be trying to treat cancer with tea tree oil. <laughs> it's coconut oil. Oh, he wasn't saying was that. No, I'd say, I'd say do that too. It's like voting. Like do that, but then also go down the streets and protest, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make, make sure the liberals on the same page there. Um, I mean, there's there's an interesting little piece of history with some of this too. Um, Ooh, are we going into what we Googled the other night? Yeah. Yeah, if you want to. <laughs> We were laying in bed and we just had this fun little thought of what if? Yeah, what if the Nazis were New Agers? And so we were like, well, let's just put that in the old search engine. And, and uh, we didn't learn shit in school about the Nazis, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. The thing is, is like, obviously, anyone that's been privy to U.S. history and our podcast secondarily knows that. We kind of took the most important Nazis and didn't prosecute them. We brought them to the United States instead. But I mean, these are people that during the Reich, you know, they're into astrology. They're into divinations. They're into tracing ley lines. They're into they, alternative medicine. Go ahead. Sorry. Were they starseeds? Uh, that actually is part of it. The ancient aliens theory oh is tied God. into this. And they, mm -hmm. they actually co-opted some of the Indian myths of like the Brahmins and then also like Nordic aliens. And, and like Hindu references. It's Nazis co-opting something? No way. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they do. <laughs> yeah, they also had a lot of shit on like holistic medicine, wholeness, eco-fascism, like there's too many people on the planet, we need to call the ones that are too weak. And then, of course, even bleeding into anti-vax. Mm -hmm. You should be strong enough to survive things without vaccination, even though they did test vaccinations on unsuspecting people. But I was go about ahead. to yeah. say, suspecting, to put it lightly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did test, though, on prisoners. Yeah. So... Anti-vax when it benefited whatever the fuck new age shit they were trying to go for. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was you know, peppered in with occult theories and astral projections. Some people thought Hitler was a guru. But, you know, even though these are tenacious connections at best, I think it does kind of speak to like a lot of these things are present in the new age movement in the United States. And especially with like the mom yogis and the people that are looking for spiritual enlightenment and all this shit. And, you know, it starts with you saying like, oh, well, the Nordics visited me in my dreams and it ends with, well, the Jews are polluting our country. <laughs> <laughs> my ancestors wouldn't waste their time. I'm sorry. As a Swede. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's crazy because I never really knew that the, the Nazis had that bent to them, or I just never really thought about it too much. But I mean, when you say that, it makes perfect sense. They had so much occult going on with what they were doing. You know, they were obviously very big into the occult. So it kind of falls in line with that. So I can't really say I'm too surprised to hear it. But it's just so funny, like, especially with the way you tend to associate new agey yoga kind of stuff, the woo woo kind of medicine, as we would call it, you would tend to associate that with really progressive people or hippies here in America. It's a stereotype, but to find fascism infiltrating that sect of the population, it's really, it's a little scary. I'm not going to lie. Ooh, they were also, um, there was a pervasive mentality of veganism, which is kind of interesting amongst the Nazi party. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do remember that. I do remember hearing that Hitler was the original soy boy. <laughs> He was all about it. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I do tend to say that a lot of what the right does is not only co-opt, but project. And you can tell a lot about what they're 
I mean, Caitlin, you'll love this, you know, having a psychology degree that they are really laying all their insecurities out there. Like it's what they do. They just wear their insecurities on their sleeves. So the way they try to dominate women, it's because they feel insecure about their relationships with women. Um, the way they call everybody cucks. Uh, yes. Yet the I mean, red states are the ones. Remember whenever they started calling everyone cucks and the left was like, wait, what's a cuck? And they were like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. <laughs> How would I know that? It's, yeah, they were the ones that were obsessed with cuck holding. And everyone else Self-owning. was just like, why do you keep bringing up cucks? I mean, now I know what a cuck is because of conservatives. Yeah, they all they do is project. It's so wild. I will say it's a really good insult. Like just the word itself, because it's so similar to fuck. I, which is, like, I use it all the time. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I'm never going to stop yeah. using it. Like, Simp and cuck are like two things that came out of a really bad place that I use just nonstop because it does have a lot of power. <laughs> the most powerful yeah. statement you can throw at someone, especially someone who's engulfed within their own machismo version of masculinity is to call them a beta male cuck or soy boy. Yes, or because they because yeah. it truly, that is the worst insult for them. Yeah, I've learned that working in construction is like, like a lot of these words I wouldn't use in like my friend group or with other leftists, but I use them in construction spaces because it affects them so much. Like I hate pussy as an insult, but like in construction spaces, whenever you call someone a pussy, it like gets to their core so much that they like can't function afterwards. Like I've, yeah, I've called guys like snowflakes before where they like just were relentless assholes to me and be like, Oh, snowflake is a woman being on a job site hurting you. And like, truly they don't know what to say. They're just like stammering and they just give up and leave me alone. It works. It really works. They're like the words that they think are insults. If you use their insults against them, there's so much power in that. <laughs> well, the reason I even brought up the collecting to begin with was because I had read something similar to an article about how Hitler was a vegetarian and had encouraged the use of soy in a lot of food products. And then also there was a lot of cuckoldry among the SS officers. It was something like they were all sleeping with each other's wives because they would go away to war. And I wish I had looked it up before. I just hadn't planned on talking about this tonight, to be honest, or else I would have looked it up. But oh, there was yeah. some evidence to say that, you know, what? they were all cucking each other. And I'll have to find Which, it put in the show notes or something. Yeah, no there. shame in that. But the fact that they use it as like an insult and like a way to like, you know, their whole life is just like built upon this fake idea of their hyper-masculinity. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's just another one of those things that, you know, when you're looking up something that the right does and you feel like it's going to be one of those things that you hold up to them and say, actually, you're doing the thing that you're insulting people over and you think it's going to be some kind of own. And then they just say, ah, it's fake. I don't believe it. Or I just don't care. Like it never works that way. They're never going to confront their own hypocrisy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you have to? Yeah. That? Just in the interest of keeping it 100 with anyone who this is like new info. So Hitler was not a vegan. He was not a vegetarian, but he did eat primarily vegetarian Mm -hmm. on the merit of being environmentally conscious. He did eat meat, but he was obsessed with being an environmentalist. And to that end, he did push that a lot towards his followers. Like you need to cut down on meat or cut it out entirely. And at the same time that he was making standards in Nazi Germany to only have X amount of cows in a train car, mm-hmm. he was saying like, no, you can cram as many Jews in there as you want. The very same train cars. Like how? Yeah. 
So just the really interest of validity, that's uh, an important thing to kind of know. Because like you will get, if you bring this up on, God forbid, you're on a right-wing forum, they'll mm-hmm. check you and they'll say like, no, he wasn't a vegan. Here he is eating a sausage. And it's like, okay. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah. He's still a fuck nut, you know? Ironic you reference the sausage. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the correction. I also wanted to mention, since we had mentioned the eco-fascism kind of thing, and the easiest counter to that, if you ever encounter somebody talking about the you know overpopulation problem most of the time people are doing that unwittingly like i don't feel like a lot of people knowingly mm-hmm. like realize that they're yeah. repeating a fascist talking point when they talk about overpopulation but that is an old malthusian thing yeah. um it's just not actually a problem and if you look at the actual graph of who consumes the most according to the population it's rich people but once again you know it sounds like the baby leftist thing to say but it's like rich people are the fucking problem like it's the one percent who consume an outsized amount for the amount of population that they make up. So if anybody tries to pull that on you, just remind them that it's just rich people who are the problem, not everyone. I think that also came from an Oxfam report corroborated by, I want to say the WTO. Um, Mm -hmm. So like there's the system rats on itself with that. Oh yeah. There's tons of data to back that up. So did any of you guys have anything else you wanted to say about the suburban mom phenomenon? Um, you know, I know we'll probably get into this later, but there was a cult called heaven's gate. Um, kind of similar kind of thing going on there where there was, I guess like a really new agey kind of cult. They, I'll try to sum this up very quickly, but they believed that their transport into heaven would be through a UFO or something like that, or like a comet, I want to say. Um, I think it was that, a UFO that was hidden behind the comet, right? Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like when the hail bob comet was coming around. Yeah, well, that the Jesus reason Christ. they decided to make it around the comet, I could be wrong. There's a podcast that goes super, super into this, but I believe they were goalpost movers as well. And they also believed that one of the founders, Marshall Applewhite, was more or less like a reincarnate of Jesus or just like a disciple of Jesus. But <laughs> they were super into like new agey kind of stuff. I mean, you talk to most other evangelicals, which was very popular at the time, which was like the 70s and 80s, I don't think they would be open to listening to the fact that someone thinks they're reincarnate and like UFOs and all that. But that kind of struck a chord with me when the connection there was made. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, we're talking about the cult that probably has the best fashion sense out of any two exists. <laughs> If y'all ever saw the way those fuckers went out, all in the fucking Nikes, dude. Oh my yeah, they had god! Nikes, they had like uh, track suits, and then they all, uh-huh. when they committed suicide, they had these oh. big purple fabric triangles. I think that they laid over them as well, right? The yeah. most outfitted motherfuckers to exist. Yeah. My favorite they is the ones that had money for like a toll to get on the spaceship. Like they all had yeah. like a dollar and eighty-eight cents or something like in their pocket. It was five dollars and some change, and it was a Huckleberry Finn reference, which it's like. What? What? Does that have to do with Jesus or yeah. dying or what? Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay. But, but in terms of, so you were saying like not many people nowadays would be like, yeah, like Jesus aliens are behind the comet and you need $5.88 fare to get there. <laughs> so like, we, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Your life isn't enough. But would you, sorry. would you like, do you think that like QAnon had to be more vague? Like, do you think as time went on, they had to not just move the goalposts like old cults had did, but move the proverbial goalpost of like, how much shit can we fit in mm-hmm. this crazy tent? 
I think that's how it's been mm. so successful and has amassed such a massive amount of following. And I mean, became this like ragweed of something that just grows and grows and grows. I mean, that actually is the next section that I have to talk about how QAnon has subsumed all other conspiracy theories into it, into just one big tent, because that's a huge part of it. And, you know, a really frustrating part. That was kind of what always led me to believe that it was a psyop to begin with, because just looking at it, let's say you are some government actor from some intelligence agency or just within the Republican Party, and you're doing all this on behalf of Donald Trump or whoever wants to get him to win re-election. How useful would it be to get all the people who already believe in conspiracy theories and have a distrust of the government to then flip that on his head and now put the government or at least certain parts of the government as the heroes against the government itself? Because you have this idea of the patriots against the deep state. Like you've effectively bisected the entire government and the state itself into the good guys and the bad guys, all part of the same grand organization of the government. But now you have the good ones that you trust going against the bad guys that have been orchestrating all the conspiracies that you've known about or been reading about for years. I mean, I have to admit, it's like kind of a genius ploy. And that's what has always kind of made me think that this was some kind of intelligence gladio style op to begin with. I'd love to hear Cosper's take on this, but are you guys familiar with the term limited hangout by chance? Mm hmm. Yeah, so during Watergate, the thing that got Nixon impeached, he was spying on his opposition in the campaign, and that is super illegal, so that was grounds for impeachment. But when the proceedings happened, his legal team and his administration basically said, hey, we're going to get caught, so let's just release some of the information to the public so that we don't have to release all of the information. So basically, by admitting to a little bit of something, you don't have to admit to everything. And the purpose behind this was to create social static, to create warring sides that are fighting over something that may or may not be true. But no matter what, it's too small of a piece of the pie to actually matter. Mm -hmm. It just lends just enough credence for people who don't want to look any further. It just satisfies that initial thing. I think one thing that annoys the shit out of me of this whole QAnon thing Remember when we were in school and we had to write essays and you had to cite your fucking sources and no one fucking seems to like look into any of that shit anymore. It's like, did we all mm. not do the same thing? But I've talked to Gen Xers. They were doing it too. So I'm just completely lost as to how people older, that kind of seems like the same sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah. No, I think that seems to be the new way of arguing on the internet. It's like people will ask for sources and then if you just... Post some links. Nobody actually clicks them and looks at them. You just post links and then your argument is now valid. Like, that's just kind Fuck. of how it works. Get owned. <laughs> Fucking dumpstered. <laughs> From the macro perspective, though, like the full social perspective, I'd love to know Cosper's take on it, honestly. I mean, what exactly about it, I guess, is where I would start. Real quick, can I just say that has kind of been a known tactic of U.S. intelligence agencies, not just limited to the CIA, but the FBI. Mm -hmm. What they will do is they've purposely released some information and mixed it in with really wacky sounding information and false information. That way it taints all of the truth as well. So now you have like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but like you could leak information about something that actually happened, leak a limited amount of it. And then also tie that into some document and it could be forged or whatever, you know, have that talk about some Mars men or something that is completely wacky. And now anytime somebody brings up the real thing that happened, they're now tied with the JFK assassination conspiracies, mm -hmm. which also is probably a real fucking conspiracy. Just, anyway, go ahead, Cosper. But, but now it's tainted. We can't talk about it. But yeah. I yeah. guess my question for Cosper to be more specific would be like, OK, so if it continuously adds static 
to these social situations. Like to me, that is obviously detrimental to the fabric of whatever society. Like you can zoom out and see the trajectory that that's going to send you on. And it's very obvious that it's going to start ripping apart the fabric of the country. Why the fuck would they do it if that trajectory is obvious, which I guess I'm assuming, but you see kind of what I'm saying here? Like, is the short-term game really worth it to these fuckos? Well, it depends on the way that you search or you uh, frame the question. I think to a lot of these people, the only way they're looking at it is in this short-term goal, because it Typically, that's the way games play in this scenario in the system that we operate in. There's no planning, really, from an economic standpoint. So it only makes sense for the big ideology of consumerism to also take hold of the ideology of releasing information somewhat as well. You can't plan how you're going to blah, blah in the free market. So why plan how you're going to have your public's ideology play out? Uh, the breadcrumbs you're referring to with these limited hangouts are also really just like interesting to me more than anything. I always like to think about you know, an event happens, whatever. But how do you see yourself in the event in context of the things that go in reference with it? And that's what makes a limited hangout idea beautiful to me, I guess, in a, in a way, because with these little tidbits of information, you have sprinkled in stardust, if you would, that fucks up the whole perspective. So there isn't really a way to grasp the legitimacy of such an argument to where I don't know if y'all remember when COVID was like everyone's locked down, whatever, all this bad shit's happening. And the FBI was releasing tapes of UFO sightings. If y'all right, remember yeah. that, yes, we I have do. these these really weird occurrences that it almost serve as distractants, you know, not to be that guy. But I was going to say, if I were going to even hypothesize as to what the larger or long term goal would be, if there was going to be one, it would seem to me like just another Operation Gladio, where it's just it's very obvious to I think to any of us at this point that, like I was saying in the intro, is that the government and the state itself is far more okay with fascism than communism, of course. I mean, when you just look at the history of the U.S. and the amount of effort it's put forth to fight communism in every way, in every place that it's kind of sprung up, and then the things that it's done to aid fascism, the overall bent that the government has towards the fascist direction, it seems to me like you don't even have to have that goal in mind, but just knowing that you would be more happy with the citizen returning the country fascist from the ground up by adopting this Q cult. You get the immediate benefit of keeping Donald Trump in office, who just lets the military do whatever it wants because he's just too bumbling and stupid to care and to you know oppose anybody. And then long term, you continue to fight communism and whatever minorities you want to persecute, any marginalized people that you want to lock up. It succeeds on so many levels and it gives the state so many excuses to do what it already wants to do. It just seems, you know, isn't this know, limited hangout thing? Yeah, isn't this limited hangout thing also, from my understanding, a very good technique of Q himself, of giving you these breadcrumbs or limited pieces of information to have you go do your own research? But typically, people are too consumed with the tidbits to actually go further down the rabbit hole or when they do go down the rabbit hole it leads to a interesting series of events that only leads to pure lunacy i guess is the best way to put it i would definitely agree with that the thing about like releasing the breadcrumbs the way that q has done is that it either manifests in this like unsure and untrusting nature that led to him in the first place or it leads to potential confirmation bias where we start doing what we were talking about in the last episode where it's like, well, the front end of this was true and we're just going to completely ignore the back end of it since it was proven to be false. No, yeah. I mean, the thing about that is also just to go on a little bit here is, you know, I've been with Q for about three years now 
is when I got back into my old boy back on 8chan or 8kun, if you would, nowadays. My concern is no longer necessarily QAnon. It is more so what comes after this event. Because I think the event in itself is more so dispersed now. The people who had faith are... I've seen videos of these people crying, and it honestly saddens me to see an individual be led to that kind of desperation. But the fact of the matter remains that these people were susceptible to such an invitation to conspiracy to begin with. So the question becomes, what is the next step? What is the next conspiracy to latch on to? That is what has been interesting me the most in these past couple of weeks, really. Because we've seen a rupture, really. I think the Capitol riots were a rupture within the ideological framework of Q, more than anything, to speak Hegelian. To where it's almost like you can't return after that event. Especially after the inauguration. You have people who are saying, no, it's a deep fake. That's actually Trump who got facial reconstruction surgery in his secret whatever you know Which is so, <laughs> so the, the rupture because it, it necessitates a new path if you would and the interesting part i think is the new path i have my conceptions of what it may be but i'm more interested to hear y'all's oh i'm interested to hear yours i'm so excited i asked yeah, first I hear <laughs> <laughs> really i have nothing to say about it and nothing to add because i don't know where it's gonna go i mean there's no so I have hoped that some of those people that were just like following Q blindly, that some of them specifically were just hurt by their place in the world, their class status from being poor. They keep getting mm -hmm. fucked over. And so that's what right. led them to Q. This is like me being definitely an optimist. And I know that there's probably not a lot, but I have some hope that there's like one or two people that do find socialism after this because it does really just take that one time getting fucked over and realizing like, oh, none of this was real. Like all of this was a lie to go the opposite direction. I was listening to just like a random podcast, Punch Up the Jam, and Miel had her dad on and her dad was just talking about his dad and how he was like this staunch conservative. And whenever Watergate happened, he went completely like anarchist leftist. He was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool to hear him talk about it. I was just like, and I heard it a couple years ago. I was like, well, fuck, maybe that can happen. Maybe like that happens to more people than we give credit to or more people than we assume, especially with the pandemic happening and it being so blatantly obvious that we're just like workhorses. Like we're just, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, maybe some people will, that's really the only thing that I've like thought about when I think about where Q is going to go, that maybe some people will be turned in a more left direction, which I don't know. I know it's few and far between because a lot of them, they're like the way they got into Q is because they are white supremacists. But I think there are some that got into Q because they are just desperate and they just want an answer to why they're miserable and why they keep getting fucked over. And since they've heard communism is like this awful thing, and like I said last week, the opposite of what it really is. They keep saying that communism is like big corporations uh, <laughs> ruling everything. And I'm like, oh, what? what? On one of the videos so that I saw was like someone talking about how America turned into a corporation like back in the 1800s. If y'all heard about yep. that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still very. It's like March 4th. Yeah, I, it's all yeah. honestly very interesting to me still, but I think you're right on the nose there with the fact that these people in themselves, due to their material conditions, are so close to recognizing the reality of the situation. And then maybe a breaking point or a rupture like this can lead to more people seeing different lights, if you would. 
I think what it brings us the question to is like, you know, what is to be done, really? Because not many people find this type of ideology on their own, especially in circumstance of the cultural hegemony that almost debases it to begin with of delegitimizing left ideas, what have you, in this kind of situation. As Mike was talking about earlier, with the tendency to go more towards a fascist state than ever of that of a communistic state, with the prevalent ideology being, you know, if you're a communist, say you're better off dead than red or some bullshit. Go ahead, Jaren. Mm-hmm. All right. So y'all are about to take a drink because this is why I'm an anarchist. But <laughs> there it is. The, the thing that I love about the, the anarchist ideology is there's a very heavy focus, not just on abolition, but on identity politics, because at its core, you know, we see these QAnon people that I think there was a Washington Post article, even though it's owned by fucking Amazon. But, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were at the Capitol, people that were obtained by the FBI, yeah, they were having financial trouble. These are troubled middle class or lower middle class people for the most part, people that donated to Donald Trump's reelection campaign, gave him like their last $4,000 and now they need it back because that was a dumb fucking idea. But the thing is, the thing that separates the classes is identity politics. And the thing is, is we cannot expect the classes to come together without the understanding that identity must come with it. And identity can include things like BLM. It can include things like the anti-Semitism that is currently on the rise. It can even Mm -hmm. include things like what is your criminal past and is the judicial system fair to you, which is why Mm -hmm. I'm an application. You cannot expect classes to come together without mitigating these identity problems first. And I believe that the state intentionally imposes those upon people. Even case in point, if you look at the average QAnon Republican supporter and how they feel about the judicial system or like dealing drugs or doing drugs, it's straight out of reefer madness. It is antiquated as fuck. They don't look at a drug dealer in jail and say like, man, I guess they couldn't get a better job. Or like, man, maybe drugs should be legal so that they and their users could get treatment or have it regulated so that it's safer. No, they look at them still as a menace to society. And that rift I just described is why classes cannot unify into this proletarian ideal that we would want as socialists or communists or anarchists. That is the true division that the state imposes on. I would like to plug something, though, just off that note to any listeners who have not read this book, especially since it is Black History Month. Fucking read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Please, for the love of anything that you care about, read that fucking book so you can understand how the entire prison complex system works, as well as the police system. It is fucking important for living in this country, for sure. Yeah, speaking of being in the imperial fucking core. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a big thing that I've been thinking about this whole time, again, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to read a little section here. Think about whether Q took off because it was a government psyop and it was, you know, intentionally promoted by people who have some power to do that. Or if it took off because the country is so inherently fascist and once they get desperate enough by economic and material conditions that they're just going to lean in that direction. And I think the ultimate answer is that it's both. I think that it has been promoted by some really shady people. And then also people just gravitate to it because it gives them an answer that You know, a take that I've heard from somewhere else is that none of the current political parties or organizations really have the potential to become the new vanguard party or the next socialist revolution because it would have happened already. And most of those parties and organizations are comprised of people who 
do this all the time, who are obsessed with this, like people like us who just do this way too much. We've broken our brains with the internet and politics and everything. And we just don't make up enough of the population to make that kind of a movement actually happen. But what did you have, Cosper? I was just going to say that I think one of the best ways that we can look at this is uh, through a Zizekian Lacanian lens, if you would. I think we can look at this as an extreme case of ideology at work. A really horrible one. I mean, you imagine your ordinary suburban housewife who is in their you know late to early 40s or whatever. Their situation in an abstract way is like... You're perplexed by your social authority. Your symbolic order is telling you, you know, you're an American. You should be doing these things. Whatever, really. But nothing really functions. So, like, what does society want from me? How is it being controlled? Why is everything going wrong? You know? And the way you typically perceive these situations is it goes something like, you know, these newspapers are lying to me. You've lost your work because of the Jews somehow or something. And they're also controlling you. You're losing your job at a retail store to them, but you're also being controlled by these people, which is <laughs> the amazing <laughs> paradox there, I think. But yeah, you've lost your work. You've done all of these things. And you're, it's also, you know, you talked about reefer madness on the way they perceive these social issues. So there's moral degradation going on in their ideology as well. So it becomes, what is the, what's the meaning of all this? And it, it really becomes almost this attempt at a revolution, a faux revolution, if you would, in a mental way, I guess is the best way to put it. I guess the best way to go forward was to be to understand the way these people were thinking, to understand the breadcrumbs that I guess someone like you was leaving them, and to go from there. Best way I can wrap that one up. Ooh, off that point, I mean, breadcrumbs and such, right? To me, and this is not to slam Christians by any means, but I mean, <laughs> that is <laughs> I mean, um, one thing that is so pervasive that can get really tough to understand is the differences between different Bibles and who cherry picks what kind of thing. To me, that's very, very similar mindset and rhetoric for people who pick up breadcrumbs in a sense. I mean, trusting one book, one source, and that's it. Same kind of thing with the QAnons. They just kind of go off riffing on Aikun and then Whatever happens, happens. No, I think that's totally on point. Like if you are able to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. parts of the Bible where it's like, okay, and this is butchering that phrase anyway, but if you somehow got out of the Bible that you're not supposed to be gay, which I could go on one about that, but let's pretend you got that out of the Bible and you choose to ignore the part where it's like you should wash your body three times after an emission of semen. You know, if you can cherry pick that, then why not be able to cherry pick any other subject out there? Why not be able to say like, okay, well, this thing about John McCain from Q was almost super right Mm -hmm. and then ignore every other wrong part about it. I think we were talking about this earlier. It's it's the cognitive dissonance involved. And one thing that that drew me into leftism in general, leftists don't tend to pull a lot of punches, in my opinion. It just kind of is what it is. There's not a whole lot of cognitive dissonance usually in leftist circles because, you know, it's kind of just being down with the good, the bad and the ugly. And I think that that's something that's admittedly it's hard to square with, like in my personal life, not to divulge too much, but I grew up in a stable home. I grew up not missing meals. I have never been homeless, things like that. And I think that that has allowed me to look into the void and say, I can handle this. I imagine if I did not have some of those things at my disposal, 
that looking into the void and saying this entire society is fucked up and there is no God, I wouldn't be able to do that. I can do that because of the privilege that I do have. From my emotional stability, that standpoint allows me to look at it so objectively that it's painful because I don't have any more pain that I have to add that on top of. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point when it comes down to the cognitive dissonance. And that's kind of what I was thinking of when you and Cosper were saying what you were saying. This is all just a big exercise in avoiding the real truth. Because what is so puzzling about it to us and why we're always racking our brains trying to talk to these people is because it would be so simple for them to just admit that they're wrong. What could they possibly be confronted with where they will admit that their worldview is wrong? I think a lot of people on the left rack our brains trying to show them some final piece of data or some final fact that's going to get them there. And it never will because this entire thing is this big theater of denial on a micro and a macro level. Each individual person believes completely contradictory things like immigrants and Jews and minorities and women and LGBT people, people of all types that they hate are both degenerate and weak and inferior, but then also controlling everything. They're also in such vast numbers that they are voting in democratic policies that are ruining the country for them and persecuting them as white cis men who own guns or whatever. They really believe this stuff. And it's so obviously nonsensical, but that doesn't matter because this whole thing is denial of reality to begin with. Um, So cognitive dissonance, I'm so glad that it's something that is used in like everyday vernacular, not just in psych spaces. It's like everyone's using it now. Also confirmation bias, which I'm going to get into like cognitive biases later. I'm so glad that those words, people know about them because once you know about them, it's a lot easier to learn whenever you know, okay, my brain's doing this. So with cognitive dissonance, I think just knowing about it, and I would venture to say that it's more well-known in leftist spaces than it is conservative spaces, just knowing that being presented with different information and you changing your views and like feeling that uncomfortableness whenever you're presented with different information that conflicts with your views, that uncomfiness is okay and it's normal. I think just knowing about it makes it so much easier to change your opinion and to not have a knee-jerk reaction and to not be like defensive whenever people tell you things that don't align with your beliefs to actually like think critically. And so I think maybe that could be like a small little answer if you ever are in a conservative space, giving out the information of like, hey, this is what cognitive dissonance is. This is what it does to you. So at least they have it in their mind. I hope like any of this is making sense. (laughs) God damn it. At least they have it in their mind and know what it is so that whenever it happens to them, it's easier for them to handle. I think knowing about these things makes it easier. And like, yeah, I mean, definitely learning about cognitive dissonance when I was in school, you know, changed my worldview because I didn't have this knee jerk reaction of like, oh, everything I think is right. And if you mm-hmm. tell me something different, I feel bad and I just want to ignore that and like protect my ego. I knew that it was a psychological process that my brain does and it's normal and feeling uncomfortable is normal. And so that made me more likely to change my opinion. My point later on is going to be education about what your brain does to you and how it mm-hmm. makes you have biases. Education about those things, I think, is really key so that people can recognize them when they're happening. You know, as a person with an ego, I also really like to win arguments both online and in person. I found that ironically, the easiest way to win arguments is to have the capacity to admit when you are wrong. 
If you can then, you know, admit that you were wrong about something, then everything else you say becomes more credible. And also you will just have a much more consistent view because you're not just bending reality to your point of view that you already have. You're just acknowledging reality as it exists. And I found that just in my life now, as opposed to when I was in my 20s, being completely unable to admit ever when I was wrong and then having to bend over backwards to avoid it, I find that you not only win arguments online, but also in real life, but you also care less sometimes about winning them because it really is just about seeking what's actually going on and trying to arrive at that conclusion and then hopefully convince others that that is what's really happening if you're able to. And if not, then I don't care so much about convincing people anymore. I also have tended to realize that most of the people I'm arguing with or talking with online don't have any power to change anything anyway. So it's not really all that important to get them to believe what you believe. But I think that the reason I like leftism or Marxism, as I limitedly understand it, admittedly, is because it is a very consistent worldview. And you really are able to use that as a, almost as a rhetorical weapon against both liberals and conservatives, because both groups are really doing some mental acrobatics to justify the people that they support, whether they're supporting somebody like Biden or Donald Trump. If you are not supporting either of those people and you're doing it from a far left position, you really have the one up on a lot of people because you're able to explain a lot of the bullshit that they are tolerating either because they want to justify Biden being a war hawk and just all the awful shit that he's got in his career or somebody like Trump, who I don't even need to say like why he's so fucking awful. But if you are able to come at it from a far left position, you can really gives you a really big advantage over people who would be in either of those camps. But would you have Cosper? I was just going to pose a question and then follow up with what even is winning an argument, really. Uh, I remember when I was a little bit younger, I used to really want to know everything about facts and stuff like that. That way I could win arguments and be better than people. But after I realized that that isn't always what does it, I wanted to understand what led people to believe the things that they did. You know, the ideological framework that's necessary to operate in an illogical standpoint. And then after that, I realized, okay, well, there's that. I have a new group of people that I might be able to persuade. And then it's more so about getting to the standpoint to where you know the argument someone else is going to postulate, and not everyone has time for this, I understand that, better than the person does that's making them in themselves. That's why I got interested in Q, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'll go down the rabbit hole, it's fine. Because I, I want to know these things, that way I can be like, okay, you seriously think the, you know, adrenochrome is being sucked out of children and being directly injected into Clinton's blood veins, or something of that nature. And then going, <laughs> walking through the mental gymnastics that someone has to go to get there, while also pointing towards the material conditions prevalent in someone's life necessary to get them to believe such a thing, justifiably, you know. I'm an idealist in a sense, but part of idealism is believing in that whole materialism thing. It's very important. Going off of like the whole what is winning an argument thing, that's something that we are fundamentally at odds and are operating on different games when arguing with the right. Just by watching any Fox News where they have somebody interview, where they have somebody on for a debate, they're just constantly wrong, but they're posturing in terms that, oh, I'm operating as if I'm correct, no matter what. That's the signifying of winning for people on the right. And so, like, even when you get into an argument with these guys, they say something short, quippy, wrong, and we throw a fucking wall of text at them, <laughs> disproving everything, and then they come back with another short one. Mm-hmm. When a person on the right sees that, they're not seeing somebody getting debunked like people on the left would see. They just see, oh, it takes all this for him to try to debate with this guy. Oh, the guy must be right because he doesn't have to say as much. Come on, brother. Simplicity is genius. Are you joking? Oh, no. And that's something we have to remember when 
trying to engage with some of these people. That's a good observation. Yeah. Like, even though we know we are debunking them over and over again, allowing that to show to other right wing people or even somebody who's slightly apolitical or trying to figure out their way, they could see that and be like, okay, well, you know, let me look more into that because that's what they've seen in a lot of mainstream media is posturing. I think it takes really knowing who you're talking to and who you're talking to is largely dependent on how you go about any conversation, generally speaking, even just interpersonally. But especially if you're trying to change someone's minds, you have to go into the conversation knowing that, you know, I I may not be able to say something that I would have otherwise. That's a good point. All right. So with all that being said, let me get to this article that I have about QAnon possibly being a government psyop. So this is an article from the Swiss Policy Research Organization from the article. A recent Reuters investigation may indicate that QAnon was in fact an FBI cyber psyop. The QAnon phenomenon has generally been regarded as a hoax or a prank originated by online message board users in late October 2017 that got out of control. The QAnon persona was preceded by similar figures, including FBI Anon, CIA Anon, and White House Insider Anon. I had never heard of any of this before this article, so that was actually pretty interesting. So to continue, QAnon originally called himself Q Clearance Patriot. Former CIA counterintelligence operative Kevin M. Shipp explained that an actual Q clearance leaker, i.e. someone possessing the highest security clearance at the U.S. Department of Energy required to access top-secret nuclear weapons information, would have been identified and removed within days. However, in November 2020, Reuters reported that the very first social media accounts to promote the QAnon persona were seemingly, quote, linked to Russia and even, quote, backed by the Russian government. For instance, the very first Twitter account to ever use the term QAnon on social media had previously, quote, retweeted obscure Russian officials, according to Reuters. These alleged Russian social media accounts, posing as accounts of American patriots, were in contact with politically conservative U.S. YouTubers and drew their attention to the QAnon persona. This is how, in early November 2017, the QAnon movement took off. But given the recent revelations by the British investigator David J. Blake, who for the first time was able to conclusively show, at the technical level, that the Russian hacking operation was a cyber psyop run by the FBI and FBI cybersecurity contractor CrowdStrike, The Reuters report may in fact indicate that QAnon was neither a hoax nor Russian, but another FBI psychological cyber operation. Of note, U.S. cyber intelligence firm New Knowledge, founded by former NSA and DARPA employees and tasked by the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee in 2018 with investigating alleged, quote, Russian social media operations relating to the 2016 U.S. presidential election, was itself caught faking a Russian social media botnet in order to influence the 2017 Alabama Senate race. If the QAnon persona, similar to the Guccifer 2.0 Russian hacker persona played by an FBI cybersecurity contractor, was indeed an FBI psychological operation, its goal may have been to take control of, discredit, and ultimately derail the supporter base of U.S. President Trump. In this case, the QAnon movement may have been a modern version of the original FBI Quintel Pro program. And then they tied up that article by saying, contrary to some media claims, the person or people behind the QAnon persona have never been identified. Some media speculated that James Watkins, the owner of the 8chan 8kun message board on which Q was posting his messages, might be Q or might be linked to Q, but Watkins denied this. In September 2020, the owner of QMap, a website aggregating Q messages, was identified as a Citigroup employee, but again, no actual link to Q could be established. So I think that's interesting. Like, it's not surprising. And like I said, I've always kind of suspected that it was a government psyop to begin with in the style of an Operation Gladio where you're just kind of leading people in a fascist direction or just aiding fascism. But also just that last part where that its goal may have been to take control of discredit and ultimately derail the supporter base of President Trump. That seems completely counterintuitive to me. Like that part really took me by surprise. I don't know if you guys caught that when I was saying that that seems like the complete opposite of the goal. 
I just have to say, like, if it is a psyop, it's one of the best fucking psyops ever pulled off. I mean, super successful. <laughs> I mean, something that I say a lot to people, I think we spend a lot of time talking about things that the CIA has done both in other countries and here, and then trying to explain to people that CIA has never gone away and they've certainly never decreased in their power to do these kind of things. So just try to like extrapolate what they may be doing today. That's in that similar vein, like their motives haven't changed. Their operations haven't really changed. If anything, they've only gotten more sophisticated. They've got more funding to work with. They've gotten more front groups that they can operate behind so that you don't even know that it's the CIA. So just try to imagine like what they might be up to today. And none of this seems too far-fetched to say that it's going to be some kind of government operation. What's up, Jaren? Well, I completely agree with that. And I think that, that one of the biggest things to recognize that just takes the wind out of the sails of people that are into these grandiose conspiracy theories is, okay, even if you just look at the U.S. government, we have the CIA, and that has different priorities than the Pentagon, which has different priorities than the FBI, which has different priorities than DARPA, which has different priorities than Blackwater, which is a private fucking entity and is now called Academy, but then who knows what kind of fingers that is in and all of these Sunni insurgencies in the Middle East. I mean, the, the internal politics of, of even just the military industrial complex alone, much less our social nets here, is just mind boggling. And the more you read about it, the more you're just like, man, this shit isn't planned. These people are not working together. In many cases, they're working separately mm -hmm. and against each other, even though they're under the blanket of the U.S. government. So then, you know, when you come at me with some reptilian bullshit, <laughs> I'm just like, dude, like, literally, you can't get this many humans to agree on one thing. Oh, you mean like the elitist angle, how there's like an organized elite, like faction of fucking people? Yeah, no, that one makes zero sense to me at all. It's bullshit. And even to my point, like Trump spent his entire presidency <laughs> pissing off the CIA and trying to remove U.S. troops from the Middle East so that he could put Blackwater and Academy troops in there because Betsy DeVos' husband is in charge of that company. So he was trying mm -hmm. to privatize the wars for his own benefit, which was pissing off the Pentagon and the CIA, which ended up being good, because if he had had their support, the 6th of January would have a very different meaning for mm -hmm. us right now. Yep. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, there isn't a lot of collusion among wealthy elites, because that absolutely does happen. But absolutely. just the idea that it's some kind of hugely coordinated or anything that could even be close to a cabal is a whole nother mm -hmm. level. You know, I mean, exactly. again, we're going to take a drink because I'm going to plug another podcast, but I was listening to the True and on today. They had a really good episode. Hey. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How do you listen to all this stuff? I would be so depressed. <laughs> I was doing some laminate flooring today. And of course, I'm going to listen to a podcast <laughs> while I'm doing it. Were you doing laminate? Yeah, I was. I did laminate and then I did uh, some ceiling tiles. Uh, laminate so satisfying. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was listening to this episode of True and On, and they were going into some some of the side connections of the Jeffrey Epstein thing. That's like what their podcast is based on is mostly Jeffrey Epstein, but it's such a tangled web that they can just go on for years talking about the stuff related to it. And so they were talking about financial groups and people who are supposedly trying to buy Jeffrey Epstein's estates, both Little St. James and I guess the bigger island, I guess it's Big St. James. And you know, they were trying to discuss like why people would want to buy that island. And one of the most obvious reasons is that it's a very short boat or plane ride or helicopter ride from Cayman Islands, from British Virgin Islands, from all these tax havens where you can just safely store millions and millions of dollars. And you can just yep. take it over in a private plane and suitcases, don't have to go through customs. 
And they were discussing all the connections from that to some very wealthy, very well-connected people in the U.S. who are still in the government, who are still operating with impunity. And it really is a tangled web. So I can see why people gravitate towards these theories about the cabal. But again, like Jaron says, those two things are not mutually exclusive. Like it does not have to be some kind of huge organization where they all have one mission. It's just wealthy people who are competing with each other and screwing each other over all the time. But at the same time, there are people who have similar interests and will help each other out. And there is collusion that goes on. Also, just fun fact, we went to the Virgin Islands for our honeymoon. And uh, the locals call that island pedophile. Oh, Jesus. Jeffrey Epstein's we rode, island. We rode right Jeffrey by Epstein's it. island. You can see it from St. Thomas. We, you're in like Red Hook. Mm-hmm. We talked about that on our Joffrey Shrimpstein episode. Uh, that, <laughs> that <is laughs> yeah, I think he's like in some, I don't know, like maybe he ran off to like maybe Northern Europe, and he's going under Joffrey Shrimpstein is his name. And he's, Joffrey yeah. Shrimpstein. I don't think that he is dead. Um, Hidden in no, plain sight. I, I think I think he's Well, maybe not. I don't know what I think about that. Uh, Such a fucking baller name. He definitely did not kill himself. I think that. That's all I know. Um, yeah, but anyways, we talked about how it's called Pedophile Island. Yikes. Mm. Yep, they call it. I mean, he was a pedophile, so it makes sense, but. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they call it that. <laughs> <laughs> we can start to wrap it up. I did want to just kind of top it off. If I were to try to tie a bow around all of this, I would say that the main thing we should learn as leftists from the whole QAnon thing is that, once again, it is just a fascist conspiracy. It's got all the themes that you would need. It's got the anti-Semitism. It's got the hatred for minorities. It's got the wild conspiracies that are a natural result of people's alienation and capitalism. So it's a direct result of capitalism in decay and people's desperation that they're experiencing because of that. And unlike what I was sort of hinting at last week, I don't think we as leftists need to think about what we can take from it, what successes we can emulate. We should realize that that is the landscape that we're living in. This is the country that you are living in, the world that you are living in, because now QAnon has branched out into other countries besides just the U.S., unfortunately. But you should realize that if you are in the capitalist West, you are in hostile territory, if you're a leftist. This is an atmosphere that is not conducive to caring about workers, and any sentiment in that direction is going to be met with resistance. Like, I don't think that the things that we're asking for are very radical. I don't think it's radical to ask that people should have health care, that people should have a government and a society that works for the workers and the people who actually produce everything that is created in society. But we can see that it's controlled by the people who produce nothing and act as parasites. And this is just a natural result of people coming to terms with that and trying to find some way to justify why it is that way and find some way to resist against it. Just to go back at what I hinted on earlier, you have, like you said, all these contradictions prevalent within the system, and then you lead to these people like Q who are, uh, with the prevalent belief being that they're about to start a revolution while still preserving the system that they're under, which isn't a revolution, which is ironic, if you would. Anyway, it's, it's just, you come to these conclusions, but you still can't escape the ideological framework that you're within, and that's what I think the thing that we need to recognize if there is such a thing as a leftist if there even really is a left in america but what i'm saying like if you're trying to promote you know socialistic ideas the best way you can recognize what to do is to not fall to the fault of 
this framework that is, you're currently caught in, like those of Q have. It's where you're still trying to pose this revolution that's caught within the system that is encapsulated within. This is similar to what I was talking about with the Black Lives Matter movement. They've done a lot of great things. Do not misunderstand me. But what I'm postulating here is that even with the revolt and what they have tried to produce, they're still failing to operate outside of the ideological framework that the system produces to an extent. And we get uh, this reciprocation of events occurring and occurring eternal contradiction-like, you know. And until there's a real way that we look at the system and figure out a way to operate outside of it, using itself to almost take itself out internally, there isn't really much that we can take from Q other than the recognition that it's operating just the way the system wants it to, perpetuating itself. When you come to a system that's in constant crisis, you're going to come to constant de-evolutions of it, breaking down fundamentally and propping itself back up again. It's how it works, kind of, ideologically at least. No, that's a really good point. And I think that's the, the same take that we would have on things like the GameStop debacle, you know, where everyone yeah. on the left who was looking at that like, yeah, go ahead. Have your uh, stock market revolution. Let me know how that goes in a couple of weeks when they change the rules on you. Like we all saw that coming. If you were, you know, any kind of leftist of any stripe, um, we knew how that was going to go. Would you have Jaron? This is kind of in the same vein that Cosper was in. I think part of the reason that like workers' rights and what the middle class deserves is lost in American politics is because we have this disconnection between what we consume and how it is created, the labor by which it is made for us. And that's something that didn't really exist in the early part of the 20th century when we did have factories in the cities and we did have supply chains that were very visible from rural America into the cities and markets. We could see these workers. We could see what they were doing for us and making for us. They were a tangible part of our reality. But since the introduction of neoliberal trade, uh, free trade outsourcing, you know, QAnon people who were saying like, yeah, we need to lock the refugees up at the border because what are we going to do if they come in here and take our jobs? They don't realize that those are the people picking your fucking produce. Yeah. They, we are so disconnected from our supply chains and from our labor chains that we literally have no connection to workers unless you are one. And that's part of the reason that we can't get some of these people to understand what is good for them. Because most of the things that we buy are made halfway across the world. And they get to us from factories that are intentionally hidden away from public view because people are pissing in Powerade cans and working 10-hour days. I think that the privatization, the extremism of privatization in the United States has permitted this reality to exist, where the consumer is separate from the person who is performing the labor, which is even more silly because Marx was correct and even Adam Smith was correct. We have the opportunity to have a four-hour fucking work day, but we don't. And that's something that people can't even recognize because of this fact that I'm describing. To add on to yeah. that, I think a key component to point out towards why these systems become prevalent is due to the alienation prevalent within the system itself and how these people feel, like you're saying, just so disconnected from anything, not only from reality and the way that the system works, but also themselves. When you're subjectively disconnected from the objects at which you create, you lose the ability for yourself to have desire in a way. 
your desire is taken away from you through the system. You know, I may want to be an astronaut or something. I may want to create good clocks that are representative of me, but my desire is stripped from me ultimately, which creates this horrible, corrosive fucking feedback loop that causes people to almost lose touch with reality in the first place. It leads to these things like we're looking at here. So when you lose touch of your subjectivity, you start losing touch ultimately with reality and the way that we subjectivize the objective as well. Based. Yeah, I think I understood that. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I really liked that you kind of were like, oh, it's not about emulating anything from the movement, but learning a lot from it. And you're absolutely right. I think people do kind of underestimate how in the belly of the beast we are. It can be traced as far back as like Henry VIII, if you really want to go that far. That split from the Catholic Church, and then it led to more extreme ideologies, which then came and conquered here. Like, it's a whole thing. And I think it really is important to understand the basis that a lot of the pervasive mentality is based on here. It's a hard one to fight, and it can be kind of bleak. So I would say to have a goal of like a big, larger vanguard idea, that's a pretty abstract thought. I certainly have no answers on that one. But smaller actions can definitely do a lot for someone on the individual level and on the community level. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I got into leftism because I just really had a genuine question about where do people go from here? How do we tackle this system that is dominating every aspect of our lives? And like, what do people do? And again, in my very admittedly limited understanding of Marxism, what I've learned is that no one really knows because no socialist revolution is going to look like any of the previous ones. It has to be adapted to the particular material conditions of that time, of that place, and no one knows how it's going to look like until it happens. And a lot of times people don't realize that, that it's happening when it's happening. They don't know until after oh, yeah. it's already done. So that's kind of why I even got into the idea of trying to ask what we could rip off from QAnon to help us in our movement. But again, totally. I, I still don't feel like that's really the appropriate thing to get from it because I just don't feel like it does translate to socialism very well. I don't feel like we can have a movement that has fascist tendencies to it or themes that is based in white nationalism and Christianity or Protestantism. I think that was just the wrong direction to take as much as I would like to try to help us by stealing from the enemy. I just don't think that's the right way to go. Uh, let me go with Jaron and then with Cosper. Well, first off, I really like the meme that you posted a while ago where you just replace everything with leftist language to rightist language, like we need to take <laughs> the power back from these Marxist corporations. I think that's a pretty solid strategy. I still do yeah. think that's the way to go. Uh, so, oh, fucking true, so fucking true. So fucking true. I hate Marxist corporations. <laughs> dude, Marxist corporations are the worst corporations. But that aside, you know, there's, there's something... <laughs> they're all in your head. are there are there people who who think that or is that fake no that's no, it's, that's 100 real. real that's real yeah the, they really the think that facebook and twitter are left is like, intense we exist okay uh. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, bear with me here is is i think one thing that again is is really important to understand about like QAnon people and this sort of flailing crab mm -hmm. at trying to keep whatever the fuck their reality is intact is if you are, and I'm not shitting on people that have religion. I personally don't, but here's the thing. It's like, if you implicitly believe in an omnipotent God that is everlasting and forever, you are more likely to believe in a political system 
that is everlasting and infallible and forever, i.e. people Mm -hmm. that are staunchly capitalist believe, genuinely believe, despite all evidence that this shit can go on forever. And it's empirically obvious to other people that it really fucking can't. And one of the great things about leftism (laughs) and, you know, Marx even said it himself, what you were saying is no two socialist revolutions are going to be the same based on the time and material conditions of where it is. And even more so if we go into the anarchist realm where it is completely fluid for better or worse. Mm. So no matter what, whatever side of the left you happen to pick, it's at least recognizing that things have to adapt based on what is going on. Whereas if you go into the right wing circles, which are mainly controlled by three things, which would be religion, capital and just racial dominance. All three of these things assume that factors will stay the same and that we're going to have this static model that can just exist in perpetuity, not unlike God. So to me, it's not such a far stretch to say like, yeah, religious people are going to be drawn to this because it's a comfortable motif. That makes sense. Yeah. Chef's kisses. Chef's kisses. (laughs) Yeah, I'm done handing Jordan's take right there. I mean, you can also cut this out because it's (laughs) offensive, but... Religious people cannot separate fact from fiction. If you believe in the Bible oh, word for word, if you're, a, but I mean, not. I'm not just saying that as an opinion. It's been studied over and no, over. It's that, a fucking that, fact that that religious kids. There's been a lot of studies on religious kids versus non-religious kids, or or kids that believe that the Bible is word for word real and true and happened, versus kids oh, who God. didn't, who weren't taught that the religious kids like overwhelmingly can't separate fact from fiction. So if you've already, if your brain's already fucking mush, like of course you're going to believe something like QAnon. I mean, yeah, like I said, you don't because I know there are plenty of great Christians who don't take the Bible literally. They're not fundamentalists, but like that's a huge aspect of it. They, they can't separate fact from fiction because they've never been taught. I kept thinking you were going to point towards some real study to where it's like, you know, Christian kids have a tendency to believe in Santa until they're like 15 or some shit. Uh, <laughs> it's usually eight. Okay. okay, okay. I, so I think in this study, they used unicorns. So, oh. I mean, kind of like Santa. <laughs> I mean, hey. yeah. They weren't 15, but like probably close. <laughs> They screwed me over in Jew school because they're like, hey, you need to believe in God. But also, here's all these pictures of the Holocaust. And I'm like, I cannot reconcile these two mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, right. God loves you, but also he let this happen. So I'm like, <laughs> that's okay. so one of these things isn't true. Um, yeah. Think, yeah, the Holocaust is like the most uh, atheist inducing event to happen in the world, from my understanding. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, and they taught me this in synagogue. So I'm just kind of like, way to shoot yourself in the foot. Right. I mean, as an ex-avid Christian, because I was raised Southern Baptist. Yeah. Breaking that mold and that mindset, it's fucking hard. It is so fucking hard. So, yeah. Yeah. I grew up Southern, Southern Baptist. Baptist. I just, I, time. it is. Yeah. My mom's atheist. But my dad's <laughs> yes. Southern Baptist. Yeah, it's insane. You can't drink or dance, which is wild. Ugh. I mean, I would say it's only second into Pentecostal. That shit is wild. Is that the one where they get the snakes and they, they're like, mm-hmm. it won't bite you? Yeah, they're like, oh, if you're with the spirit of the Lord, it won't bite you. And then if they, they do that. I don't know what that means. But. 
Southern Baptists do that as well. Okay, so we didn't get to it tonight, but regarding blood libel and adrenochrome, oh, I'll make, shit, yeah. I'll make I a knew post. Was, okay, shit. It's okay. Well, I can, three, either I can do it real quick or I can make a post <laughs> on my Instagram and cover it real quick. Blaine, was there another thing? Wasn't there like a whole session that you had as well that we just didn't get to? I have pages upon pages. <laughs> Shit, we should have. Um, and it has to do with children and stuff. Like it gets, it gets terrible. It get it, if you if we do an episode on this, just full disclosure. I am so sorry for the dark abyss that I will bring upon this podcast. All right, so then let's um let's plan on doing a part three <laughs> next not. week. I mean, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll finish my <laughs> ideological shit next week. We did a lot of tangents and kind of ranting this week, but I think next week will like be a little more focused. And I think it will come out fine, yeah. But I think yeah. um, we, we're definitely less focused than, than last week, which is fine. Like, I have no problem with that. Um, so, yeah, well, that's actually good. I would, I would actually like to do a part three and cover some of the stuff we didn't get to tonight and last week. So I can save it for next week, but just like as a, as a quick primer for anyone that has not been around Jews a whole lot, we're actually not allowed to consume blood at all. Oh, yeah, um, it's whole... it's a dietary mm-hmm. thing that is part of being kosher. It's expressly forbidden by the God of Judaica to consume blood, which is why animals have to be killed in a certain way called shekin. And you have to let the blood completely drain out. And what of it remains has to be removed via uh, salting the meat. So mm-hmm. quite literally, it's against Judaica to mm-hmm. consume blood. But I can go on on that later. Can I week. piggyback off of that as mm-hmm. a Satanist? Yeah. Um our first tenant is one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. So we also don't really eat meat. A lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us, especially children meat. So <laughs> suck it, QAnon. You ain't no shit, bitch. I swear <laughs> not. You know who does eat blood, though, and animals. Christians. <laughs> so yes. true. Let's call that yeah, uh, part two. And then uh, we will pick up next week since we do have some more stuff to get to. I forgot we did not touch on the blood libel like I wanted Jaren to get into. And then Blaine has some more material that she's going to give us as well. So we will pick up next week on a third part of QAnon. But for now, let's just do some plugs. Again, we're definitely going to plug Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner podcast and VHS Action Rewind. Do you guys have anything else that you wanted to say about that or plug anything? Okay, so Shannon from Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner, the one that actually Mm -hmm. does all the work. She just started a new podcast called Now That's What I Call a Showdown. I think you just look up Now Showdown on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And her and her friends uh, just go through all the Now That's What I Call musics and review them. So if you want a trip down memory lane, then go check that out. No QAnon related stuff. (laughs) Aw. Aw. Um, okay, and then for Sterling, I'll plug our Twitter. That's Twitter slash TurnLeftistPod. Cosper, you want to plug your Twitch? Yeah, you can follow my Twitch. I uh, I would appreciate it greatly. I just review bad cooking, pretty much do whatever I want. I really like culture. I really like to talk about bad culture and sometimes read books, which is a good intertwine. It's Cosper underscore on Twitch. If you want to follow me, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Cosper underscore? Actually, yeah. C O S P not Casper. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me at uh, Ward Lawley, W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y, and my backup at Millennial Leftist. Hell yeah. Jaren, you want to plug your website again? Sure. Uh, so uh, up until the 17th, I'll still be plugging my business Instagram, which is Perlman Fine Jewelry, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N Fine Jewelry. 
on Instagram, and that is for the purpose of you can enter a raffle uh, to win a $400 pendant, and all proceeds are going to benefit the local homeless here in Asheville who had their camp recently cleared by the local government and a bunch of asshole right-wing business owners. Currently, we're up to like, uh, I think, $300 in donations. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys so much for helping. And I want to try and get it as high as possible. It's only $10 to enter so that we can try and get some relief to these folks. Yeah, I don't even want to like discuss that again. We went into it last week, but I'll just get angry if I even talk about it because that shit is so fucking horrific. Mm-hmm. Blaine, did you want to plug anything? Um, I already plugged it earlier. Read that Michelle Alexander book. Read anything from Black authors. James Baldwin, Angela Davis. Read them. Not just this month, all year. Read it. Nice. Yeah, and then I'll just plug the link tree. That's linktree slash turn leftist. You can uh, find our Discord server there and hang out and talk with us. You can find our merch. We still have some Reagan is Satan t-shirts left. I really like that design. I'm actually pretty excited about it myself. (laughs) I I love it, dude. My dad fucking almost peed himself. (laughs) (laughs) Troll level 100. Yeah, other than that, you can find anything else related to us and uh, hit us up. So please uh, leave us some good reviews on iTunes and any other podcast apps. I wanted to mention the biggest thing you could probably do to help us out is just tell a friend. If you like this podcast and you know somebody else who you think would like it and you think they would find it funny or informative in any way, tell them. Just help us get out to some more people and help us radicalize these kids. That's what we're trying to do here. Help us reach these kids. How do I reach these kids? I was like, is that appropriate for me to say? <laughs> no, I mean, that's all I think about when I'm doing this. All right, cool. We can leave it there, guys. Thank you guys okay. again for, for coming on, and we will see you guys next week, and we'll wrap it up with part three of QAnon. Yay. Okay, bye. See you Thanks, everybody. Have a great time. See you all later. Bye.